We turn in our scripture reading this morning to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Going to read the first 14 verses. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, nevertheless. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We read that far in God's Word. <clears throat> This morning we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 51, which is the fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, I have a question for you this morning. What would you think 
If as we gathered to worship this morning and we bowed our heads in prayer together for the so-called long prayer, your pastor had simply smote his breast and said, Oh God, be merciful to me or to us poor sinners. And then said, Amen. What would you think of that? Would you say to yourself, Hey, that's not long prayer. That's not long enough. You missed all kinds of things for which to give thanks. Where was all the thanksgiving? You, you didn't pray for so-and-so who's sick or this person there who's mourning. You, you didn't even pray for our needs. What about the thanksgiving for our Christian schools and the thanksgiving for our church? Where are all those things? What about even the thanksgiving for the great deliverance God has given us over sin? You didn't pray appropriately or rightly. Would you have said that? How many of you would have come up to me and say, Reverend, you did not lead us in worship properly today? We were cheated. We were shortchanged. You didn't express really what's in our mind. My response would be that of our Lord Jesus Christ. If all we would do is come here, if we had just come here today, and we had all risen together in unison and beat our breasts without even looking up into heaven, and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You would all go home justified. And going home justified, you would have everything you need. You wouldn't lack one single thing. You would have more riches than you could possibly imagine. You would be more blessed than if you had all the gold and silver and health and strength in the world. God would receive that prayer more than any other prayer if we could talk that way. You would go home with more peace and joy in your soul than perhaps many another worship service. It is true that that prayer is short and simple, but Jesus in that parable gets down to the essence of our needs and the main request in prayer because that's this petition. How many of you have ever considered this petition the petition? The main petition of them all. Oh yes, they're all important. The Lord and I with Him are not recommending that this be your only prayer. The Lord did teach us to preach other things, to pray other things. We do have other needs, but yet at the same time, with that parable, the Lord is teaching something very important about worship, about our hearts, about the great difference between all Christians. 
That is, those who are religious, those who are those who acknowledge God as their Savior, as their Lord in some sense. All Christians can be divided according to that parable. The Pharisee who walks in and says, Lord, I thank Thee I'm not like others. He thought he was praying. He thought he was worshiping. But the Lord says even his prayer wasn't to God. It was to himself. He was praying to himself. His prayer never went beyond his own skull. And then there's not all kinds of other Christians in between the Pharisee and the publican, but it's the Pharisee or the publican. And the publican worshipped. He entered church burdened, sorrowful, downcast, a sinner. He went home justified, exalted. The other was damned, humbled, brought low. Let's consider this petition. Forgive us our debts under the theme praying for forgiveness for what we pray, how God grants it, and why we ask. <clears throat> Without at all minimizing beloved people of God, the fact that there are other petitions to make before God in prayer. Without at all minimizing that prayer itself takes the form often of thanksgiving. The Lord, with these last two petitions, gets at the heart of what we really, really need. And the petition that we consider this morning is the main one of the two. For without it, you cannot receive the second, nor will you even pray for it. In a very real sense. Without the receiving of this petition, then even the former petition about bread is worthless and vanity means nothing. When earlier we considered that the petition of bread is really a prayer for God's blessing upon even the means and industry by which we receive bread. That to receive God's gift is one thing, His blessing is another. This petition speaks to the blessing. For if you receive bread from God, as all men do, all men receive their bread from God. Even the Pharisee received his bread from God and probably would have acknowledged it. Lord, I thank thee for my bread. The fact of the matter is, without the forgiveness of sins, without receiving an answer to that request for the forgiveness of sins, that bread will kill you. That bread will be for your damnation your condemnation. It will be among the many things that the Lord points out that He gave to men, that God gave even without their asking. And they truly were not thankful because they did not recognize their one great need and so pray for it. And that's the forgiveness of sins. This request is an amazing request exactly because it's not like the other even for bread. 
when we made the request for bread, it was emphasized that it's a request for bread and not for luxuries, not for riches, not for anything beyond bread. And it was emphasized that it's a request for daily bread, not bread for tomorrow, but just bread for today. That that must be a part of our request, otherwise we pray wrongly. Then it shows we view God as we ought not. It shows then that we view prayer as a sort of means to coerce and even blackmail God. Or we see God as a vending machine. It takes faith. Only faith can and will pray, give us this day our daily bread. This prayer is different. Notice the word daily is missing. It is not simply a prayer for the forgiveness of my sins this day. There are no limits to that request. That doesn't mean now that one makes this request and one receives this request. There's no more need to make it. There are many Christians who view it that way. You hardly ever hear them asking God for the forgiveness of sins because in their mind that's been done. So what need is there to ask again? So the Lord is not teaching here, make this request once and be done with it, but make this prayer continually and at the same time, notice the request is not at all limited In fact, the proper view of this petition is that one is praying for all of their salvation. All of salvation can be summarized as the forgiveness of sins. Not because now it is, but for two reasons similar to bread. You will recall that we said bread summarizes all of our earthly needs. That when we pray for bread, we're not saying, Lord, I don't need clothes, and I don't need shelter, and I don't need good health, but it's all summarized under that one word, bread. Similarly, all of our salvation, all of our spiritual needs, all of our spiritual requests, everything that we need from God for our soul, for our everlasting life, may be summarized simply as forgiveness. That's why when the publican made the prayer that he did, he was praying literally for everything he needed. Now why is that? Two reasons. Number one, because forgiveness opens the door, as it were, to all the other blessings. If one has the forgiveness of God... If one has justification from God, if God says your sins are forgiven, then everything else follows from that. Everything else is rooted in that, grounded in that. And therefore, when one has that, they have a right, they have a right, an amazing word, that we do not use lightly. But when one receives from God truly the forgiveness of sins, they have the right 
to every blessing from God, to eternal life, to eternal joy, even for power over sin. One will have peace and joy and happiness unspeakable. And that's why forgiveness has always been regarded that way. Now the Lord does tell us in the next breath to pray for the deliverance from sin. There, we're actually praying for something different. Oh, it pertains to sin. And that points out why this prayer is so fundamental and why it can even be considered the one main, if only, prayer that the child of God needs to make. Because, you see, if one is forgiven their sins, then they receive the whole deliverance from sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Some imagine that if one is only forgiven sin, then that's the only deliverance from sin that God promises, that God has granted, that God has willed for us. That's not true. Jesus is a complete Savior. (laughs) And what many fail to realize is the meaning of Jesus being a complete Savior is He gives you complete deliverance from sin. And that's not limited to simply forgiving your sins. That's why we may expect now and even in the future an actual deliverance from the power of sin. That's part of the right that God grants and gives to someone whose sins are forgiven. That's part of their blessedness. That when God grants the pardon and forgiveness of sins, the washing away of their sins, then what follows from that is deliverance from the power of sin. And it's implied in that request. And the Lord wants us to recognize that, so He does teach us in the next breath to pray for that deliverance. In fact, that implication is even found in this petition itself when we don't simply pray, Lord, forgive my sins, but forgive my sins as we forgive others. And that as we forgive others really belongs to the deliverance from the power of sin. So I hope you have those points in your head clearly. Complete deliverance from sin is deliverance from the guilt and the shame of sin. That's forgiveness. When God says, I forgive you, there should be no more shame of our sin. That shame has been endured by our Lord Jesus Christ. There should be an eager expectation and longing and hope for good in the future because of that forgiveness of sins. When God forgives us our sins, He delivers from the guilt of them. We ought not feel guilty over our sin. That's what we're praying for. And then there's deliverance from the power of sin. That's the next request. But nevertheless, this is the key to the other. In fact, the Scriptures teach and the Reformed Confessions teach you cannot have the other without the former. That's how important and significant is this request. Now, the other thing that we need to keep in mind when we make this request is that this is a prayer for the grace and mercy of God. And do not overlook this. So significant is this point, so important is this point, is that if you look at 
the carrying out of this petition in the model prayer by the publican, you will notice that he doesn't even mention the forgiveness of sins. Now everyone, I think even the little children here knew that when Jesus gave that parable, that that publican was praying not for the deliverance of sins, not for bread, not for a lot of things, which are all granted in the mercy of God to us. We notice that even with regard to daily bread. The request for daily bread was rooted in the mercy and grace of God. And we recognize that because when you make the petition for forgiveness, it is based upon, it is grounded in the grace and mercy of God so that that publican didn't even have to mention sins, didn't even have to mention the word forgiveness. In other words, one of the primary and great demonstrations of the grace and mercy of God pertains to the forgiveness of sins. And any request for the forgiveness of sins that does not recognize that, does not believe that, does not understand that, is not a request or petition for the forgiveness of sins. To put it another way, there are many who may perhaps make a petition to God for the forgiveness of sins, and that's, that request is never heard. Why? Because it was not rooted, it was not grounded in, it was not made on the basis of God's own mercy and God's own grace. That was one of the essential errors of the Pharisee. Notice the Pharisee's prayer please. Notice he addresses God. He is praying. He's even thanking God in his prayer. In other words, there's a certain acknowledgement that what he was praying about, God had provided. Perhaps there would even be an acknowledgement if you had asked him that God had provided those things in his grace. And yet, that's not really what he believed. The Pharisee, you see, didn't see something. Didn't recognize something. Actually, two somethings. One was that he was a poor sinner. That's what he was. So that he could actually say the things he did. I wasn't an extortioner. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an idolater. Well, yes, he was, as was the publican, and as is every one of us. Not one of us can stand before God and say, I'm not those things. But the second thing was that if he had made a request for forgiveness, and no doubt he probably did in some way, form or fashion, it would be that God grant that request because he was not an extortioner. He wasn't an idolater, which then is no request for forgiveness. What is God going to forgive? You see, when one is righteous in their own eyes, when one goes to God appealing to what they've done and who they are, then there's no recognition that one is truly, actually a sinner. And then what follows from that then is 
that if there is forgiveness, if God does look at one as righteous, it's not because of His grace and mercy, it's because of who and what I am. And I hope you recognize that the prayer of the Pharisee and that attitude is what is in you and me by nature. That is what we will be. We fool ourselves and we think to ourselves, well, by nature, I would be just somebody who didn't go to God, wouldn't come to God. That's not true. History has shown that the human being is a religious person. He's going to try to carry out some sort of religious service with regard to God. That's the way we made. That's who we are. All men know instinctively that they stand before God some way or another. And there's only two ways to be justified before God. One is we justify ourselves. I come to God and I present to God who I am and what I've done. God, I'm thankful for what I am and who I am. I'm thankful I'm Protestant Reformed. I'm thankful I'm a third or fourth generation Christian. I'm thankful for the upbringing I have and the friends I have. I'm, I'm thankful for our good Christian schools. And I'm thankful that I'm not like those other Christians. I'm not like those others in other churches. I'm not like those others that have other names of other churches that they attend. I'm thankful I'm not like those Christians who advocate all kinds of sinful things that ought not happen in the church. I'm thankful for the money that I put in the collection plate. Did you notice how much I put in the collection plate? Thankful I come to church twice on Sunday. Thankful I'm baptized. I'm thankful I'm not like some of the other people in our church or other churches we hear about. If that's you or me, you do not go home justified. That doesn't mean you go home neutral either. It means you go home condemned. That somewhere along the line, somehow, some way, God will condemn you in your heart and say, you self-righteous Pharisee, you proud arrogant person. You think that I ought to receive you just because you're thankful. That wasn't the problem with the Pharisee. He was thankful. His prayer was full of thanksgiving. And I have no doubt that likely if you had looked at his life, it probably was a whole lot better than the publican. No doubt the publican had indeed ripped many people off of their hard-earned money he was working for the ungodly, wicked. Not a very sanctified individual, perhaps. But if that's who we are, beloved, and that's how we make the prayer forgiveness of sins, then you understand the problem. There's no sins to forgive. You see, what you're looking at in the parable of the publican and the Pharisee is what repentance looks like. A lot of talk about that nowadays and how it's not necessary. One can be forgiven without repentance. That's nonsense. Why is that? Well, 
The reason that's said is because it's assumed that if you say it's necessary, then you're just like the Pharisee, and you're saying, Lord, forgive me because I pray for forgiveness. That's nonsense too. Repentance is the God-worked faith of the believer that he's a sinner. You understand that, right? To make this request, forgive me my sins. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That individual has to recognize they're a sinner. And that's the essential difference between the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee in his own eyes was not a sinner. At least not a sinner that deserved any kind of condemnation. In fact, if you had asked him where he'd actually gotten the things that he was thankful to God for, he would have been thanking himself. That's why Jesus says what he does. Notice he prayed within himself. He was thanking himself. He was patting himself on the back. Do not ever, beloved, minimize a prayer for the forgiveness of sins because it is a prayer that is a request for grace and mercy. In fact, it is a demonstration of the grace and mercy of God. It's a prayer that recognizes God be merciful to me. I have no right to the forgiveness of sins. I have no business even asking for it. I don't deserve to have my sins forgiven. And I've noticed something. All of my good works are filled, filthy full with, with, with sin. Now where does that come from? And you have to see that this is part of the answer of God to such requests. I hope you see, do you not, that repentance itself is an act of God, a work of God. It is what God works in us. The very recognition that I'm a sinner and that God must and only God can forgive my sins. And recognize too that when one makes that request, God responds to that request and answers it by working that more and more. Making us see more and more our need for the forgiveness of sins. How does God answer that request? Well, God actually forgives your sins. Here two people don't want to recognize that you can speak of the forgiveness of sins in two distinct senses. No doubt. And without denying that, the Lord forgave my sins a long time ago in the atonement. When Jesus actually paid for those sins, when He actually paid the price to cover all that God demands of me for failing to be perfect as He is perfect, for failing to actually give Him what is owed by sin, which is eternal death, God works that, makes us see that, makes us understand that. But yet Jesus says, pray. Jesus does not teach us, now you people, you deny the atonement of Jesus Christ. You deny the one sacrifice of Christ. You deny that Jesus is a complete Savior if you insist that you must pray for the forgiveness of sins. That's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus is teaching, pray this again and again and again. Pray it as much, perhaps more, than you pray for your needs, your daily bread, to be delivered from sickness and disease and all kinds of things. 
God works that. But when we pray, God also forgives our sins. It's not as if He hasn't done that before. But God truly comes to us and says, I forgive you. That's what Jesus meant when He said the Pharisee went home justified. Now Jesus doesn't tell us how God did that. Notice, will you please, the Pharisee went home justified too. But it wasn't God who justified him. He justified himself. He went home with a rather smug smile on his face. Imagining to himself that all his sins were forgiven. He was righteous. Everything was good and fine. But he did not go home justified. He went home condemned. His conscience was actually telling him, you sinner. And he was busy trying to shut it up. Silence it. Be quiet. The worst part about it is when the Pharisee is going to stand before Jesus Christ in the day of judgment. And Jesus says to him, you sinner. And then points out sins that we would all just say, ah, that's so small, so little. Why would even the Lord mark that sin? The Pharisee's not going to say you're right. Because he had never said that in his life. He's going to come up with excuses. Well, I'm certainly better than those others. Look at all the wonderful things I did in thy name. You see, that's, that's the horror of this. That if we've never prayed, truly prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that is not a part of our worship. And the main part of our prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then you're going to bristle when someone comes to you and says, you know, that's sinful on your part. You, you may use that kind of language. We're going to say, why? Everybody talks that way. You're going to find in your life that when someone comes along and says, you know, you ought to give yourself more to others and not be so selfish with your... We're going to get mad and angry. But what's even worse is when the Lord does that. And He's going to be a whole lot harsher on us in pointing out our sins more detailed, point out everything. And if you're one who has justified himself in his life like the Pharisee, then that's going to be a response to the Lord too. But look how righteous I am. Look at who I am. Look at my pedigree. Did you note the number of times I went to church? Have you seen all the hard work I poured into my kids and my family? Do you see how much I love my husband? And the Lord's going to say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. The publican, who was accustomed and used to coming before the Lord, beating on his breast, saying, be merciful to me, can only respond, yes, Lord, you've taught me what a sinner I am. You see, the Lord responds to that prayer now already. The publican heard in his own conscience and heart, my son, I know you've done terrible, terrible things, but those sins are forgiven. Why? Because you're repentant? Why? Because you said be merciful to me a sinner? Why? Because no. Because I am merciful. 
and I am gracious. You see, that's how God answers that prayer. But there's more, more we should consider, which the Lord teaches us, and the Heidelberg Catechism makes a point of. And that is that often the Lord answers this prayer not simply by saying you're forgiven, but by strengthening us with regard to our own walk of life, by sanctifying us. And the Lord puts His finger on one of the chief ways that that's done. You see here too, we can easily fool ourselves. We can say, oh yes, I believe the Lord has forgiven my sins. And you say, well, what's the evidence of that? Prove that to me. And we would not be wrong to point to what God has worked in our life. That is evidence. Evidence of the forgiveness of sins. But what does the Lord point to? And it's not the only place He does this. It ought to wake us up as much as the parable He gives, which condemns our Phariseeism. And that is, the chief evidence is you forgive others. Now why is that? And the answer is very simply this that it takes mercy to forgive others. You and I are so Phariseeistic, so self-righteous in our nature, that we will not forgive anyone for anything. Because don't forget, we're practically perfect. It's everybody else who's the sinner. It's everybody else who's doing things to me. I have a right to be mad with them. You know what they said to me? You know what they did to me? You know how they treat me? You know what they think of me? You see, the person that's been forgiven on the basis of the mercy of God, who's been forgiven simply because God is merciful and not at all who they are, will indeed forgive others. That's why the Lord adds that. He doesn't add that so that we say, Lord, forgive me, because I've forgiven others. Lord, forgive me because did you see how many times I forgave others? That's not what the Lord meant. That would be Phariseeism again. That would be as much as saying, Lord, forgive me because I'm not like others. Did you see all the people I forgave? And those others, they don't. But it is a rule. It is a principle. An unfallible rule that the person who believes by faith, who's heard God say to them, I forgive you because I'm merciful, is someone who can forgive the worst imaginable things committed against them. And again, not on the basis that they've asked or because of anything that they've done or not done. We must be careful there. Oh yes, there must be repentance. Without repentance, there is no recognition they've sinned or sinned against you. In the same way that it's impossible, literally impossible to ask God to forgive your sins without repentance because repentance is the recognition that I'm a sinner. It's faith's own recognition. I need that forgiveness and that I need it on the basis of the mercy of Christ. That's not necessary. And to say that's not necessary with regard to others too is foolish. It's to require more of us than what God does. 
to say that what Jesus is saying, we just forgive everybody all their sins ahead of time or for whatever else, is to really say that's what God does. God doesn't do that. God doesn't forgive the sins of all men head for head. He forgives those who are repentant. We do too. But don't forget what that means then. We don't forgive somebody because they've repented. We don't forgive somebody because they've followed certain steps. We don't forgive somebody for this or that. We forgive because God forgave me. That's one of the ways God answers the prayer for forgiveness. Now, why do we make this request? I'm going to be very brief here because I've touched on it already. We make this request because God has worked repentance in our heart. You will make this request and I will make this request and make it fervently only when we recognize that we need the mercy of God. That the mercy of God is the only thing that we have to stand on. There's nothing I can point to. There's nothing I can show to God that can be a reason for Him forgiving me other than He is a merciful God. We make this request because God has taught us what His law requires. Perfection. God has taught us there's nothing you can point to me that's perfection. Even if you could point to one thing that's perfection. Or let's say you could point to 90 things that are perfection. 90% of the things you do are perfection. 99.9%. The one thing that's missing is enough to condemn you. Who teaches us that? God. We don't teach ourselves that. That's not the thinking of man. Thinking of man is I don't deserve what God condemns me for. Thinking of man is just that of the Pharisee. Look at all the good I've done. Look what I don't do. No, it's because God has made you. God has made me to see what our great need is. If God doesn't do that, this request won't be there. Or if the request is there, it will be all wrong in our own heart. Just like a person that prays to God to give them their daily bread not all men do that. Not even all men who need daily bread and are hungry. They may be hungry and they do need daily bread, but they won't go to God for it because they've not been taught. They don't know. They don't believe that God is the one who gives bread. Do you see that? Do you see that it's even God's grace that brings us to enter into His courts and not present now ourselves, present now who and what we are, to come in with our pride, but to come in humbly. It is God who humbles us. It is God who teaches us. This is the one great need that you have. And taught us that if you have this, you don't need anything else. You literally do not need anything else. That's why we make this prayer. And may that be what God works in you this morning. To pray to God for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank Thee. O Lord, for our Lord Jesus Christ and for Thy mercy and grace shown unto Him, that we may have faith to believe that Thou art a merciful God, and thus to pray together, not even for ourselves, but for one another. Lord, 
Be merciful to us, poor sinners. Be gracious unto us and forgive our sins, even as we forgive one another in thy great mercy. Amen.